Okay, so welcome. And at this moment, I am mildly terrified because uh, I'm used to speaking to people about Pilates or running art workshops, but I'm not used to speaking like this. So I'd be happier if you were all strangers, but hey-ho. This has been a long time coming. Um, I've had, I had the idea of wanting to talk for about a year, and I ignored it. And then about three weeks ago, in the depths of Swanage, I was walking up the street and I thought, I need to do something about this. And I texted Neil and said, I'd like to speak. And he texted back within 10 minutes, which was really frightening, <laughs> saying, yes, please, when? So here I am. So um, when I wondered this morning, why on earth did I say I'd do this um, and want to run? I remember, because I've got something to say. That's basically it. And when Neil said yes, I thought, oh, heck, what am I going to call this talk? And then I found this wonderful phrase, the cloud of unknowing. And I thought, that's what I'll have. And it's all I have learned and all I have unlearned. So that gives me carte blanche to say whatever I like. Sorry, Neil. <laughs> Within reason. So um, there'll be pictures to look at and occasional sentences that you might want to let hit home, hopefully. And you can heckle if the spirit moves you because I'm much happier with a happy crowd than a silent crowd so the cloud of unknowing yes it is working good oh I meant to take that off <laughs> do any of you know faulty towers yeah 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 so the I know nothing I know nothing the older I get I know nothing um, I'm just thinking we might have to switch presentations because this might not be there are two copies um, so whilst you do that, because I did remove that off the edited version. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> Yet? Why did I remove it? I don't know. I chickened out, really, because I was going to do the accent, but then I thought, no, I'm not that good at impersonations. <laughs> I know nothing. I know nothing. But I like that because he was always saying that to Basil, Mr. Faulty, wasn't he? That he knew nothing. And the older you get, the more you feel like you know nothing. But the bigger God gets, so that doesn't really matter. Do you want me to come down and find it? Are you okay? I'm really hoping I've done the right thing here and not have to switch back for a third time. Yay. Okay, there you are. So, um, the Cloud of Unknowing is actually a 14th century manuscript. I haven't read it all, but I just happened upon it. And it is a manuscript written anon anonymously by a Christian who wanted to help other Christians to live the Christian life. And the overview of it is that he wanted people to let go of the focus on what God does and what his attributes are and to just abandon themselves to the realm of unknowing because that's the mystery of God because we like to peg God down and we like to say certain things about him and it can become formulaic and admitting to not knowing can be quite frightening so when I found this I thought well we're not alone really they were doing it in the 14th century. And this guy lived and wrote at the same time that Mother Julian was writing and Thomas Akempis. How many of you have heard of Mother Julian? Yes. I'll say more about her later. Um, but 
I have found that within that cloud that you can rediscover the mystery of God because at first it seems like a fog but actually if you can rest in that place things matter less theology matters less and it's more about your experience of you and God together so it's the mystery versus the explainable but first of all there's my sister so we were dressing up obviously we didn't normally dress like that Uh, but we were brought up in India we were children of missionary parents who worked for the leprosy mission so we had a strange childhood that we thought was incredibly normal to have a monkey as a pet and sheep wandering around the garden and 24 guinea pigs and all sorts it just was a wonderful time Um, but looking back as I tried to get to grips with this talk I realized what things had really meant I as a child at school loved Superman comics and we went to school in uh, boarding school in Darjeeling and every Saturday we were allowed out and I would leg it up the hill to the uh, camera shop do you remember the Kodak camera shop because it always had a pile of Superman comics at the doorway and I would save my pennies and buy a Superman comic and I never thought anything about it until recently because Superman saves everybody and that's that's my heart is to save everybody and it's not possible but that started young so you if you know me you know I rescue pigeons I'll pick them up from a gutter there was one wonderful time when I saw this guy under the bridge um, and he was acting very strangely like this and chasing something and it was a snake in Worcester Park so I got out of the car I went straight up to this thing just picked it up and put it on the verge and he looked at me completely <gasps> what did you just do I said it was a grass snake it's a slow worm but he didn't so I will stop and rescue anything um, Jesus I was brought up with a very um, black and white gospel and there's nothing wrong with that but as a child what I heard was Jesus is the answer Jesus is the answer for everything. And as a child, I thought that meant Jesus will take all my problems away. And he doesn't, not always. He is with you in them. But that was, it was not a lie, but it was something that I felt, but it wasn't true. So I had to change my theology as I got older. And it was a real mismatch for years. I really struggled with it. And when I was about 14, I was on a bus in Ealing, because when we came back to England, we lived in Ealing for a while. And there was a blind man sitting on the bus opposite me. And I just looked at him and I thought, if this is true, all of this stuff, I should be able to go to that man and lay my hands on him and see him see. And it, it so got to me. I thought, why can't I do that? Because I hadn't met any of you know, the sort of John Wimber type stuff at that stage. And I can remember another story... Um, I was asking mum, because we went to a lovely Baptist church, um, but it was quite staid in some ways. And I can remember going to my mum and saying, how do you hear God? And she said, through the Bible. And I said, but isn't there another way? Because I knew he must speak. He must speak and hear. But she wasn't able to sort of tell me that at that stage. And then um, the life of Brian came on. Hands up, those of you who have seen the life of Brian. And keep your hands up if you love the life of Brian. Yes. So those of you that are too young to know the life of Brian, you need to watch it. 
It came out in the early 70s, 1980, was it? Oh, my goodness. So it, by, the Monty Python lot wrote it, and it was a film about a parallel person who got misunderstood and thought of as a messiah. So within the film, you have Jesus over there doing his stuff, but this lot of crazy people think Brian is the messiah, and it's the most hysterically funny film, in my view. I know lots of it off by heart. Um, so what have the Romans done for us? But no, never mind. <laughs> and no, I won't, because that's be swearing, that, that particular quote. Go and watch it yourselves. Um, but as new Christians then, we were very earnest. And our churches were saying, you must not watch The Life of Brian. It's sacrilegious. It's blasphemous. So we, I think you did as well, Peter. No, you didn't. Okay. I, I went out with people trying to witness to people and say, don't watch The Life of Brian. But I hadn't even seen it. I just took what people had said, saying, this is a wicked film. So I went and told people. I didn't get very far, and I'm very glad I love it, because I must have seen it 20 times now. But those were the troubled years, because I also became anorexic around that time. I'm, I was... I had mental health issues and looking back it was a very very difficult time and it was also linked to coming back from India because home was India and England was not um, so those were the troubled years but your journey is a is we're in this for the long haul aren't we it's a slow journey and you just develop and so I've learned not to feel shame about what I've been through or what I've done um, the last thing oh I should have Put the next one up. Sorry about that. Where are we? There we are. No. Sorry, let me just go back one. Oh, never mind. The, um, the next thing that I had down was praying for mice. So, further to the story of the blind man, okay, then I meet people like John Wimber, who then says, you can do that stuff. You can see people healed. You can lay hands on people and get better. And I love animals, so I will pray for anything. I'll pray for four legs or two legs. It doesn't make any difference. And I have prayed for mice. I've prayed for birds. I've prayed for cats and dogs. And I've seen things happen that you might not believe. But that, that's part of my journey. And I'm always looking for the happy ending. So that stems from Superman. Probably also stems from my dad doing the work he did with the leprosy mission and helping people and all the people we saw around us. Um, I love the words of Mother Julian where she says, all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. And what she saw was in the end, everything will be well. It's not a, a Superman person coming in and taking your troubles away. It's at the end. At the end, God is. In the end, all will come into line. In the end, we will find justice. In the end, we will all be healed. And in the end, we will all know God. So the feather of the breath of God, this was another phrase I grabbed. Have you heard of Hildegard von Bingen? She was a 12th century nun who was also a great musician and composer. And she was the first woman to ever write down sacred music. And this was one of her phrases. She felt that she was just a feather on the breath of God. God could blow her where he, he willed. He could lift her up and he could settle her down. That was what she saw. And sadly, the church at that time shut her down because women don't speak about things like that and they certainly don't write music. 
I'd love, I'd love to know what she thinks now because her music is out there. You can get CDs of it and it's, it's awesome. So I wanted to share what I have learnt and what I have unlearnt. So I have learned that we are in this for the long haul. And I went through a stage where I felt like I wasn't... Oh, hi, Sarah. I didn't see you there. I went through a stage where I felt like all the good stuff I've ever done was behind me. And I was stuck and I wasn't doing anything constructive as a Christian. And so it all felt way back there. And then in my mind, I saw this picture where, if you call it a timeline, because people talk about your future ahead of you, don't they? And your past behind you. And I saw this timeline swing around until it was going that way. And on that line was everything I've ever done. So wherever you are, everything that you've accomplished, every kindness, every kind word you've spoken is coming with you regardless of what you're doing right this minute. And to me, that meant an awful lot that you don't have to be doing something right this minute. It's all there, all around you. I've learned that I must hold my theology lightly. I've learned that I'm, I'm forgiven and I need reminding of that. I've learned that God is bigger than my mistakes. And I've made many. Be quiet, family. Don't say a word. Um, I've learnt that being angry or disappointed is okay. And I was, again, I grew up feeling I had to be pleasing to everybody. I had to make everybody happy. And I had to be good. Because I'm a Christian and missionary daughter. We got that a lot, didn't we, Steph? How could you behave like that because you're missionary children? I've learned that I need to plug into God however I can. And for me, that's through worship music. For somebody else, it's silence. For somebody else, it's reading or walking in the park. But that is all okay. You just need to know what you need to do. And I know that I'm loved unconditionally and I'm fully known. And I have this feeling that until you can look in the mirror at yourself and think, yeah, I'm all right. That's a good place to be. And if you can't, don't worry because that's coming. It's, it's going to happen for you one day. But to just be able to look at you and think, yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay. And I've learned that you and I have a voice and it needs to be heard. So last Sunday, I, went, I wasn't here because I went on the Women's March because it's 100 years since the suffragettes got the first bit of the vote. And we traced, we retraced the steps of the suffragettes from Pall Mall through to Trafalgar Square, past the House of Parliament. And the women were only given the vote if they were 34 or over. And it took another 10 years for every woman to be given the vote in England. And I learned that there are lots of men, other women out there who've got a voice. So I encourage you, if you're holding back as women, don't. Because we need you. If you're holding back as men, don't, because we need you. We need to hear what you have to say, what you believe, what you understand, and what you can contribute. I've learned that everything is held in tension. So where's Mike? Is he in here? Mike? Oh, there he is. This is your fault. Um, <laughs> I was... I can remember saying something to, to Mike about how difficult things are, but yet within that, you can have real joy and Mike just looked at me and said well it's everything's held in tension isn't it and you think oh yes 
it is. It's the good stuff and the bad stuff. It's held in tension and you can have both pretty much at the same time. So it will come around again for you. Um, I've learned that every weakness is a potential strength. You need to hear that again. Every weakness is a potential strength. So as a family, we get irate when things are unfair over little things and we're competitive and but it's all the same strand of injustice fighting for justice so it can be a weakness when I'm sounding off over something that really doesn't matter but it's the same thread through our lives and part of getting older is finding out what that thread is in your family and in your life I'll be certain of less things but it doesn't matter because God is and I've learned that God is. And a friend on Facebook gave me this lovely picture of a ginger beer bottle. Is it up there? No. Never mind. That when you look at a ginger beer bottle, you have to trust that there's ginger beer in it. Yes? And this friend Lizzie, when she's praying for people, she just trusts God to be the ginger beer. She says, God, you be God, and I'll be Lizzie because you can't do anything else so she'll go and lay hands on somebody but it's up to God so you trust God to be God you trust the ginger beer to be in the bottle and I really like that as a picture I've learned that we must allow space for God to just be the mystery just we can't have all the answers we won't have all the answers and another good friend Katie said to me she talked about this irreducible minimum so when things are really really tough um, when you feel like you don't know what you believe anymore, when you feel like people are talking in a foreign language, she hangs on to the irreducible minimum. And for her and for me, there is a God. There is Jesus. There's a Holy Spirit. And I'm loved. The rest of it, you can have up for discussion. And please hear my heart on this. So don't burn me as a heretic. But... <laughs> We do have heretics in the family, or we like to think there are, because there was an Anne Askew who was burnt at the stake for refusing to believe that the bread actually turned into the body of Christ. And there was a Thomas Hawke who also was burnt at the stake for the same thing. So both sides of the family covered, really. <laughs> That's why we're so rebellious. <laughs> so there's your, your lovely phrase all will be well and all will be well you need to just hear that my mum used to say that to me and sometimes it really irritated me and other times I thought yeah she's right all will be well this too will pass all will be well and this is what I've unlearned so I don't have to be good enough I beat myself up about that without anybody else needing to do it and I don't need to do it I don't have to be good enough I don't have to be Superman. I don't have to save the world. Somebody else would do that. I just need to do what's in front of me, like pick up that pigeon or help somebody cross the road or whatever. Smile at somebody, say you're not in a hurry when you're in a queue. I can't make everything right. I can't please everyone. And I will never have a complete theology this side of heaven and I have this suspicion that when we get the other side of heaven it won't matter anyway I really don't think it will because we'll just know 
And the other thing I've learned is that I can never successfully be anyone else but myself. And that's taken years. Because we all get told stuff as children that you're this or you're that, you're clumsy, you're whatever. And those labels don't sit well. You just have to rejoice in who you are. However different you might feel to the next person, you, you can only be yourself. And I've also learned that life disappoints regularly, and that's okay. And I have this um, lovely picture of a... There we are. Of a coat. When Peter was a teacher in the early years of our marriage at Greenshaw High School... Um, he was a very organized man. He didn't really need me at all to make his lunches because I wouldn't have done anyway. Um, well, I might have. But he would make his lunches a month in advance. So he'd, he'd have a, a factory set out in the kitchen. You didn't know that. Factory set out in the kitchen, bread, peanut butter. What else did you put in there? Peanut butter, all sorts of stuff. And he would do a complete month's supply of, of sandwiches all back packaged up in plastic bags, bunged in the freezer. So then he also, he also wouldn't, uh, <laughs> he wouldn't bother to, to iron his sleeves on his shirt. So he, he just would iron the, or was it just the sleeves you'd iron? And you'd, you'd have a tank top on. So he'd never need to iron the body of the shirt, just the sleeves. I mean, how cool is that? So anyway, back to this coat. So he, he had this coat, which was like an army flak jacket with lots and lots of pockets in it. So he could shove his sandwiches in it and pens. And oh, we didn't have mobile phones in those days. But when he left, a friend of his drew this fabulous picture of a jacket like this with everything you could need for life. In this, in this jacket with pockets. And when I was thinking about how disappointed I'd felt at some stage, I've, I heard these words, disappointment is a coat with deep pockets. And if you're not careful, you will collect them. And there's a heaviness that can creep up on you as you go through this life if you don't empty the pockets regularly. So it's okay to be disappointed, it's okay to be angry, but I suddenly realized how weighed down I was with all of these collections of stuff around me that I hadn't let go of. And these pockets need to be emptied regularly, and forgiveness is a great emptier. And that sometimes needs a bit of practice. So life is surprising, isn't it? Always. I can't believe that we've been married so long, 40 years. Stand up and take a bow, Peter. I don't know why we've not killed each other. I really don't. What was that? Ah, yeah, he probably did. He probably did. <laughs> so we have two cats, we have one dog, and yes, we have two children. And then came the wedding of a wonderful Sam. It's got a wonderful bride, EJ. So that was fun. So we now have a daughter-in-law as well. So there's always joy to be had. And then came stormier waters. So life has a way of uh, taking your feet from under you. And um, we've had a difficult year 
with a serious diagnosis on our family. And we don't know what the future holds. But, um, sorry, we're facing a serious thing. So um, we are walking in the shadows. But there is this wonderful phrase from Mother Julian that the shadows are deep because the light is so bright. So people say, oh, you're being so brave. And you think, no, we're not. You've just got no choice. When you go through hard stuff, you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you learn to treasure what you have. So we are waiting for our miracle. We have encouraging signs, but we're waiting for our miracle. And I've seen plenty of miracles to know that there can be miracles. And peace, as we walk through this, peace comes in waves. Don't you find that one minute you're down in the depths and then all of a sudden you'll get a wave of peace and then that will last for a bit. And then there's always a pause between before the next one comes and hits you. So it does come. It is like the sea. So we continue to write and paint our story. Thank you, Jess, for the photo. She took that one. Um, but you have to just keep living. You have to find joy in the present. You have to find joy in your dogs and your cats and your children and um, your visions of grandchildren. <laughs> Saying no pressure, no pressure at all, but you know, soon would be quite nice. <laughs> I swore I wouldn't say that, but I see it's power when you're up here with a microphone. Forgive me. I'm not just looking at you anyway, you know. There's lots of people in here who feel the same. So finding out what is really important is what I've discovered. So I'm sorry, kids. That's what's really important. <laughs> my dog and my husband. <laughs> and one of the verses that really helps sometimes, I've loved this verse for years, that the the, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And even when things are awful, you can still say that. Because it's all come with you. It's all in your present. It's all around you. And I've learned that God, the older I get, God is here. And my theology is over there some way. And it rotates and it forms and it unforms and it changes with culture and it changes with discussion but God does not just because I'm not believing one thing it doesn't mean my God has changed at all so my message doing quite well on the time my message is that you and I are more than enough so if anybody's told you you're too much that's not right if anyone's told you you're not enough that's not right you are more than enough and that we are loved fully and completely and that the mystery of God, this great cloud of unknowing, is a safe place for you to just rest in. And it's bigger than any of your questions. It's big, bigger than any of your doubts. They don't matter. And that you and I have a voice and the church needs to hear it. So especially the women, that if you have had things in your, in your mind to do, do it. Speak out. Don't wait to be asked. Do it because we need to hear you. You're something special. You are okay. And we need as a church and as people to speak out against equality. 
whenever we see it, however small it is, however big it is, to be true to yourself, we need to speak out. So there is an um, organization called Sophia Network. Just out of interest, you might want to look them up. They're a group of women that are trying to bring respect to men and women in the church and to equalize the playing field for opportunities. They're a wonderful group, and they have just done some research that I went to the House of Lords to hear on Thursday. So that's really cheering. Things are changing. Yeah. The Sophia Network. Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-A. Sophia. Sophia Network. So in the end, whatever else happens, God is still good. And even when I don't feel like that, it's, it's still there. God is still good. And I would love it if we could just sing this song. I think we've got enough time. Uh, Katie gave me this CD by Kim Walker-Smith. And she's obviously gone through hard times. And this has really touched me. The words... Here at the end of me, you are my victory. I'm trading my scars for all that you are. <laughs>